Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook, brought to you by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, I pick the brains of industry experts, innovators and sales leaders to draw up a series of playbooks full of actionable tips and tricks for you to take away and run with. For this, the Sales Leadership Playbook, I was joined by Celine Schillinger, author of Dare to Unlead and founder and CEO at We Need Social. This was a really enjoyable chat with Celine, who has big ideas on what we should be focusing on when it comes to sales leadership. So, without further ado, here is the Sales Leadership Playbook with Celine Schillinger. Could you just very quickly talk us through what does Dare to Unlead actually mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote this book after a long experience in the world of work, in the corporate world, as a salesperson myself. And I noticed along those years that some aspects of work and management and relationships at work just didn't seem to work really well. And I decided to study this aspect a little bit more in detail and worked on and found ways by which leadership could be reinvented and more adapted to who we have become in the 21st century. As customers, as employees, or as citizens, leadership is about all of us together leading, making sense of what happens, making sense of the solutions that might be possible and that we might be willing to implement, rather than looking for a savior, a person, a superhero to follow. I think this is dangerous, this is toxic, because we always end up being disappointed by the leaders, the few heroes we choose to follow. But that's also our bad, our fault, I would say, if we stopped putting our fate in the hands of a few and instead found ways to get more engaged together, find ways to collectively decide our path forward, things would be much better, I think, much more accepted socially, economically, etc. Just to give a bit of context to, to what you've just said there, Celine, could you give us some examples of the, applying the dare to unlead mindset and how it's been successful? Yes, absolutely. I have tons of examples. The difficulty is finding one <laughs> that will resonate more with our listeners. Maybe one is precisely at an airline, a global airline company, there was a the need to implement a new booking system, an online booking system that would enable clients to book their shipment online. And that was pretty scary for the sales department because it was in a way, or they perceived it as replacing their jobs, right? And what the company did is instead of imposing the solution onto everybody with a few communication activities and some change management work driven by a few experts, they accepted and opened up to a new way of working, which is this collective leadership or unleadership I'm talking about, where they invited the sales force, precisely those people who would be impacted by the solution, to volunteer and contribute to designing the project. What is it we're trying to do? And even expanding the project to the digital future of that company. And so the uh, the sales force, represented by the volunteers who stepped up and said, I want to join that group, really was, was able to bring their experience, their diversity, their perspectives, and to, instead of being victims of an initiative downloaded on them, they became the co-authors, the co-designers of, a pro, of, a, of this project in partnership 
with leadership and some middle management functions, whatever. And those, this joint work created relation, trust relationships that did not exist in the past. You could see a very much an us versus them culture in the past. And thanks to this collaboration, this joint work, which was a real authentic desire to bring all those these perspectives and create this collaboration, this us versus them disappeared. And people were able to see themselves as colleagues and even more than colleagues as co-activists for a better future, right? Mm. And that changed everything. And as a result, the said system, the original system that was in, in, supposed to be implemented over two years, got implemented in three months with a huge adoption rate because people des designed stuff that they knew would be really helpful, would really help, would really be appropriate to their colleagues and so on. And that system happened to be a major advantage when COVID hit because mm. precisely the Salesforce couldn't work as they used to do before COVID. And thanks to this system, well, clients were able to book their shipment online and so on. And that was a huge competitive advantage for that company. To draw a parallel with the sales world, it's similar to having to adopt your sales process to how a buyer is buying rather than the method that you particularly want to sell them exactly. that solution to. So yes. So you mentioned earlier displays of toxicity mm. within leadership. How does toxicity manifest itself, do you think, within sales leadership? And what are the steps that we can take to either eliminate it or avoid it altogether? Yes. Oh, that's a great question. I think people on a glass door, for example, people commenting on their employer, lots and lots of testimonies of microaggressions, of dictatorial behaviors. And unfortunately, in addition to that, you've got all this spike in burnout. And burnout doesn't just affect people like victims of toxic management, but they also affect people who are the toxic managers <laughs> themselves. I believe most of them are very unwillingly put in that situation. They just conform to corporate cultures and they're not evil persons in by themselves, right? We are all trying to do our best, but conforming to corporate culture because those cultures are enforced through a whole series of procedures like performance management, what gets discussed, what gets blamed. It's very difficult to change a culture, but it is possible. It requires a little bit of courage, but not courage as a, I would say a hero, follow me and I'll change the culture because that only this way only replicates the hero worshiping kind of culture I'm trying to get away from, but bringing people together as communities, even small ones, you can start anywhere, even at a small scale, but then through ripples effect, connection, networking effect, you can trigger much larger changes. So then using the dare to unlead model, then let's say you've got a sales leader who's got a team member who's underperforming. How does dare to unlead help prepare them for difficult conversations such as mm. those? So I would say it prepares on several levels. My proposal is to focus on three key values, which are the values of freedom. How do you inject more autonomy? more in order 
to increase the level of responsibility in a system. Okay. So how do you, how do you make sure, how do you create this space where people will be responsible, will feel, will want to feel responsible for something? How do you tap into this intrinsic motivation of people? And this starts by looking at ourselves and trying to look very honestly at what we reproduce or what we change from the system in which we work. Is it a toxic system in some ways? If it serves me, but doesn't serve anybody else, it is not a good system, right? And it should change. What do I change? How do I do that? What, how do I have new, con new types of conversations with new people with, so that, that's the first value. The second value is a value of equality and diversity. How do I network my organization more? How do I work more as a network and a bit less as a hierarchy, as a top-down hierarchy? And the third value is a value of fraternity, chosen togetherness. How do I create the conditions for people to want to be together, want to work together? And so back to the precise example you're mentioning, if I have an underperformer, then I should focus not on the performance, but on the relationship. What is the level of my relationship with that person? What is the quality and the nature and the quality of the relationship of this person with their environment, group, team, extended environment, clients, and so on? How can we work together to make sense of the situation, make sense of what's needed? And I think it's not a one-on-one -on -one thing. I think it's a much broader thing because if something is broken in the system, it needs the system to come and help find solutions and not just knocking on <laughs> that person's head <laughs> to, for them to work better. It, this will not deliver results, of course. Mm, absolutely. And I suppose the more astute listener might recognize the, uh, the credo almost of a liberté, égalité, fraternité. Exactly. Obviously yes. the national motto of France. It started a little bit as a joke almost. And then I thought, the more I thought about it, I thought these are not just French values. These are quite universal values. And I for sure didn't want to come with yet an additional framework or model or whatever. We're dying under the weight of frameworks and models. If we become dependent on a model, we just keep following something invented by other people in other contexts and applying it to our reality. And it always brings unintended consequences and sometimes of the very wrong kind. It's very easy, isn't it, to stay in the, the habit yeah. of something just for the sake of that's how it's been done for so long. So that's how we stick to it. Right? Yeah. So in, in terms of just talking about some models or frameworks, that sort mm -hmm. of thing, do you think, how do you think KPIs need to be? Do they need to be altered oh. at all? Or? No, yeah, that's, a, I love that question. KPIs, in my opinion, are part a big part of the cultural change that is needed and that we need to bring forward altogether. If you design KPIs together, right, rather mm. than impose them on people, it changes everything because then people will feel they are the co-owners of those KPIs rather than the victims, right? So that's the first thing. Involve people in designing the KPIs. Revisit them frequently. That may seem a bit counterintuitive, but KPIs generate by nature deviant behaviors. Mm. By nature. This is the rule, right? So that's why before they become toxic, you need to bring back those people or new people, whatever, but bring a collective 
around the KPIs at a regular pace and say, are those KPIs still serving us? If not, how can we evolve them? How, what is it we want to pay attention to now? Because our environment is changing, our performance is changing, whatever, clients' expectations and so on. So these are just some of the few recommendations that I would have, but uh, it's a whole topic in itself. And I wrote a blog post about it that is probably the most read post on my website, by the way. It's something around how can we measure culture change and something it's precisely around KPIs and how KPIs are, can be a part or a tool, a very important tool in the culture change. Absolutely. I think to be completely fair as well, the company that I work for, Lead Forensics, we've adopted the uh, the OKR framework, mm. which is exactly as you describe. Is I sit down with my manager, we come up with our targets together. So at this point, we need to be here to achieve this. It does lend, again, as we were saying before, to the sort of the empowerment and the engagement of it. You really mm. do feel like it's not, you've been told to reach this target go yeah. and do it it's very much okay mm. this is where we need to be this is how we're going to get there and i have strong reservations about the linking kpis and individual performance very strong reservations about that i think individual performance metrics are part of what makes systems toxic actually because it all favors interpersonal competition within a group which is the worst, I think. We need to really foster collaboration instead. And even if you try to do a mix of individual and collective uh, KPIs, you still have this poison of individual KPIs or metrics, which are very difficult to assess in a neutral way. Mm. I think um, performance management discussions are always personal they are never neutral feedback always speaks more about the person who expresses the feedback <laughs> rather than <laughs> the person who receives it so i have unfortunately it's a very entrenched method and way of working and and a big industry there's a big industry pushing for that of course so it's very difficult to convince companies to get rid of their individual kpis and performance management systems and yet i think there's a lot to be improved there Particularly with our industry as well, with sales, I was having a conversation with Eric Bayliss on this very topic mm. on a previous podcast about balancing competition and collaboration and how, mm. given that sales is traditionally competitive, that can be quite a tricky sort of yeah. meshing of those two ideas. Mm. I think it's a myth to say, to, to perpetuate the, it's a myth that to say that salespeople are motivated by money and money alone. And I think it's not true. It's absolutely not true. It's if, and if we keep pushing that myth and saying that rewards, monetary rewards are the only thing that motivate people, I think we're doing a great disservice to our, to ourselves and to our customers as well. I do agree to, to some extent because the conversations that I've had creating the podcast and the webinars that I do for Lead Forensics, what you do, you very quickly, what I very quickly realized is actually salespeople, or at least the most effective salespeople, it seems, they've decided their why they are mm. doing what mm. they're doing very early on. They've mm. got goals in mind and they say, okay, by this point, I want to have this kind of lifestyle. And I think it's very interesting how many of those goals actually do divert away from the financial side of things of course there are people yeah. i've spoken to who yeah, are yeah. like oh no i a hundred percent this is not to downplay it, but it's a means to an end so i'm mm. doing this and i'm doing very well at this and i'm doing the best i can at this because mm. i want x figure in the bank yeah. or i want that help yeah but a lot of it is i just want 
the freedom to just go and oh absolutely <laughs> liberté uh, to, <laughs> to do what i want to do yeah absolutely and the best salespersons i know are amazing at building connections mm -hmm. at connecting with potential clients and and current clients and maintain they are just amazing i feel so humble when i see them because i am very far away from this level of skills. And I envy that very much. They have a natural, I don't know, grace in reaching out to others and connecting. Mm. And they are, yeah, it's, I deeply admire that, that skill. That charisma, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what are some other common mistakes that are made when thinking about sales leadership? I think the another common mistake is to believe that machines, AI, technology, will replace people, replace like 100%. I think this is a cruel mistake because we, by thinking that, by acting in that perspective, we miss out a huge potential for ingenuity and creativity and progress and engagement and and yeah that's to me something that is that feels very shiny and very attractive and yes everybody wants to do stuff with chat gpt and that kind of things yeah. and yet the again back to the human connection the human creativity the sense of understanding perceiving weak signals or posture a body some body language whatever this will not be done by the machines and what i advocate for is a great combination like in that example that i mentioned where this team got involved in designing the future the digital future so mm. working with the machines and the softwares and so on but it's the combination of the two huh? the, the humans and the technology that is delivering the greatest results so i think that's that's, some, that's a pitfall we need to really be wary of and particularly right now we're at the very sort of the emergence of mm. ai suddenly becoming this huge factor that is going to impact yeah. all of us even myself mm. i go well am i going to be needed mm. if ai can edit a podcast together yes what am i <laughs> Yes, so yes. Hopefully, that's not the yeah. case, Celine. Yeah. Hopefully, we can continue to, to do what we do. <laughs> In terms of motivation and inspiration, then, what do sales leaders need to do, or perhaps the inverse, to stop doing mm -hmm. to help motivate in their sales teams mm -hmm. you think we've spoken about competition yes. and collaboration what what actual tips can they put in place i would bring out a word which i noticed in something the british police said about our work together because i i have worked with the british police a while ago and they said we need to stop solutioneering and i love that word solutioneering sales leaders or any type of leaders, please stop solutioneering. Your team is facing a challenge or whatever, an opportunity, etc. Don't bring your solution. Bring the people together. It might feel like, oh, we're wasting time because I know the solution would be, you know, this. You're not wasting time at all. You're saving time on the later phase which would be engagement. And you're also saving time on problem solving, which will be much reduced because you'll, you will have made the effort of bringing people together early on in order to mm. make sense of the situation. It's not just a transactional effect of bringing minds, brains together and finding solutions. It's also the process that creates this trust, this sense that we're all here 
we're in this together. We're really in this together. It's not just words on, on a poster, on a wall or at the cafeteria. It's like we are considered for our capacity to make a difference, to matter. And when people feel they matter, it changes everything. It changes their perspectives on work, on challenges, etc. And they give the best of themselves in that situation, right? Plus, if you rely on more people network together, you make your organization anti-fragile. You, re you reinforce the resilience of your organization. While if you rely on your own genius or the genius of just a few people that you know are amazing your organization is dependent on those few people right mm. if they leave if they get sick whatever the whole thing falls down if you built over time not just one time huh, but over time a resiliency network of committed people who see and respect and value each other your organization is really becoming anti-fragile I've learned a couple of words there. Solutioneering, that's a word I've yeah. not heard before. I think that's an example of a, to borrow a French word, a portmanteau. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Céline, this has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this morning. It's been really enlightening and I've really enjoyed hearing oh, your thank ideas. thank you, Joe. Um, if you could give the listeners of the B2B Sales Playbook one top tip to take away from this podcast? What is the most important thing that they should take away from listening to our conversation today? Mm, I would say the most important thing, at least for myself, is to precisely look at ourselves. What am I perpetuating from a system that is broken? What do I carry on? What and pass to my successors that should change? What can I do instead? Change always starts with oneself. Mm. If you want everybody else to change, you have to start yourself first, right? And send the unequivocal message that yes, you are committed to finding other solutions, um, new, more different ways of working that might feel a little bit challenging, but that's the game. Huh? You won't be able to affect any change if you don't start by applying that to yourself. Celine Schillinger, thank you so much for chatting to me on the B2B Sales Playbook today. Thank you, Joe. Well, there we go. That was Celine Schillinger on sales leadership. Our key takeaways then. Keeping things simple to start, teamwork makes the dream work. Rather than creating a culture of following one figurehead, utilizing your entire team is essential. Remember the airline who employed their sales team to troubleshoot their new scheduling system. Your sales team want to feel engaged and empowered within the company, as those guys do. Creativity, ingenuity, progress and engagement come from human connection. When discussing something like performance, first consider your relationship with that colleague. And as Celine says, feedback says a lot more about the person giving it rather than receiving it. Thanks again to Celine for joining me for that podcast and thank you for listening to the B2B Sales Playbook. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back again next week for another excellent edition of the B2B Sales Playbook.